Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolnk. I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. We are talking today about the past week. This is a weekly episode. We're trying to make summary of major events and trends in and around Ukraine from 18th of July until 24th of July. I'm talking to Tetyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach of, Ukra- uh, of Ukraine Crisis Media Center. You can support us on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Uh, we try to spend a big amount of your s- donations to help people affected by this war. So uh, this week from the 18th July until 24th of July, uh, what were the key events and trends in your opinion? Well, uh, once again, there were no, not at all a lot of moves around the front line, so we haven't observed any kind of significant advance of the Russian army in the east. At the same time, what we observe in the south of Ukraine, we see the constant counter-attacks, maybe on a tactical level at that very moment, but the preparation of the big counter-attack in the south by Ukrainian army. Uh, yesterday, there were, there were information about the kind of encirclement of Russian troops, more than 1,000 Russian soldiers were encircled by Ukrainian forces. So the story is to follow, just to see them if they will surrender or will they be taken prisoners or will they resist. So um, Ukraine is becoming stronger in the south and Ukraine resists in the east. So this may be the major Uh, conclusion about what is happening on the front line. But at the same time, maybe the major development of this week was this agreement about um, about Ukrainian grain, about exportation of Ukrainian grain, the agreement which was reached yesterday on Friday. Um, it was a very interesting agreement because there were double agreement, because first agreement was be- between Ukraine, United Nations and Turkey. And the second one was be, um, between uh, United Nations, uh, Turkey and Russia. And it was about uh, humanitarian commercial corridors coming from Ukraine, from, from Ukrainian coasts, from three Ukrainian ports up to, to, to other destinations, which would allow, in fact, the exportation. There were a lot of hopes put in this uh, agreement. Uh, not locally, I mean, not only on the Ukrainian level, but on a global level, because the the, the fears about the global hunger is, are still here. And it was a kind of real hope for this to happen. But unfortunately, on Sunday, in the morning of Sunday, there were... Uh, Saturday. Saturday, the there were Saturday. strikes, there were strikes, Russian strikes against the port of Odessa. And there was immediate reaction of Ukrainian Minister of Foreign Affairs saying that, saying that this was maybe uh, putting in risk all these agreements reached yesterday. Yes, the agreement was indeed uh, very much expected on the one hand by the global community because the global community is talking a lot about the, the, the problems of the global famine or at least the shortages of food or increase of uh, food prices. And uh, let's remind our listeners that According to different estimations, at least 400 million people all around the world depend on Ukrainian food, on Ukrainian grain. Ukraine cannot really export uh, the, its, its food uh, globally because the major routes of transportation were the maritime routes, routes through the sea. Despite the hostilities in the south of Ukraine, Uh, still these three U- Ukrainian ports, they, were, they are all around Odessa the Odessa port, the Chernomorsk port, uh, 
and and yes, Pivdeni port and. They are still capable of exporting much of the Ukrainian grain, but of course, uh, given the situation in the Black Sea, when uh, first Russians are threatening the attack on Odessa, and there were several announcements recently that they are really preparing this attack, Ukraine, of course, is is going to defend. Therefore, the uh, equatorium of the Black Sea around Odessa is mined. There are many maritime mines. Uh, at the same time, of course, nobody can guarantee that uh, these ships, even if they kind of showed shown the the corridors to avoid these mines, meaning that they they should be accompanied by the Ukrainian maritime vessels, that they will not be subject to uh, Russian attacks. Uh, and um, this creates all all these problems. So, despite the hostilities, despite the war, Ukraine is still capable of exporting much of its uh, of its harvests. If it's if it does not export its it harvests, it harvests, they will be just in the storages and just rot there. Mm-hmm. So, they will or destroyed by Russian or, missiles. Or, or as, destroyed. As it happened many times. And uh, so, there is a need to to uh, to facilitate these exportations. And uh, this agreement, you know, in Ukraine, many experts were skeptical about these agreements and media saying that, well, the agreements with Russia do not are not worth the paper on which they're written. And the Russians clearly showed uh, on Saturday that this is the case because, yes, they signed this agreement on Friday and then on Saturday they bomb precisely the Odessa ports from which uh, this grain should go worldwide. Let's try to reflect on this on this act of Russia because he, he, so they violate an agreement they signed just less than 24 hours before it was signed, so after it was signed. So it's, 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 it's looks strange because it took so many, it, it, the negotiations about this agreement, they lasted for at least two weeks. So there were President Erdogan, which is a somehow closer to Putin than any any other European leader, any other NATO country leader. Mm, there was also um, Se- General Secretary of uh, uh, United Nations, Guterres, who was there personally. There were uh, Shoigu personally, Minister of, of Defense of Russia. And we have some problems to understand why they are violating it so quickly. I mean, uh, without any real vessels trying already to to go out of the Ukrainian force, what? How can we interpret this uh, this uh, behavior? I think first they are saying that uh, they don't really care about the agreements they are signing, and uh, again reaffirming the uh, the language of force. The second maybe is that. They can be may, may be forcing Ukraine to um, to denounce these agreements. But why? Uh, if if Ukraine uh, says, "Okay, we are not going to implement it because you are bombing our ports," then Russia will be will be saying to the world, "Look, this is Ukraine which is not implementing. We are, we have signed these agreements. Everybody was everybody was happy, but Ukraine is just denouncing these agreements and saying 
uh, it's not going to implement it. Maybe this is the strategy. But this is stupid because everybody sees that they, if Ukraine is unable to export this grain, it's all mainly and it, um, solely because you, uh, Russia is bombing ports or it will bomb maybe vessels, so we don't know. But this only for security reasons if uh, if Ukraine will not be able to export. So this Look, is a kind Ru- of a big argument. Yeah, of course, for us, uh, this is it and uh, we should be stressing this, but uh, if we look globally, the global Russian argument was that um, it is Ukraine which is to be blamed for the problem of the famine worldwide, and it is the sanctions against Russia because uh, there are sanctions over the Russian fertilizers. And by the way, um, let's also let's analyze. We we ha- we have not analyzed these agreements in, in detail, uh, but there are really two reflections, the, the, the kind of a twin agreements. Because yeah, Ukraine, documents, two mirror documents. Ukraine hasn't signed an agreement with uh, Russia, obviously, but Turkey is a kind of a, and United Nations is a kind of a mediator. And the question is, of course, okay, what is exactly what is written in the, in the both parts? It is interesting to analyze. For example, uh, Turkish authorities, as far as I understand, are enabled to control the vessels which are coming uh, to Ukraine through Bosphorus Dardanelles, entering the Black Sea. And uh, what about the Russian vessels? Will, for example, Turkish authorities will be also authorized to, to inspect the Russian vessels? That's the question. The second question is, for example, we know that well, there is some information that from other ports, not the Odessa ports, but those uh, cities which are occupied, like Melitopol, like uh, uh, cities in, in Kherson Oblast, in Zaporizhia Oblast, like Berdyansk, uh, uh, vessels with grain, with Ukrainian grain, stolen by the Russians, is exported somewhere and land, for example, in Turkey. So will Turkey be able to analyze it, analyze the Russian vessels which are coming, or presumably Russian vessels which are coming from the from the occupied ports of Ukraine. So there are many questions. There's another question about that, because in recent days, just maybe a day before the agreement was signed, there was information, a kind of official statement coming from Russia about about they are, um, they are willing to capture Odessa in the next stage of their aggression against Ukraine, maybe in 2023. There was uh, such information. So they are not... Uh, they still have their plans about Odessa, maybe some plans to connect Donbass through Odessa to Transnistria. So they are still eager to capture that region. So it comes in a context where this agreement is discussed. What was important for Ukrainian uh, society? It was important that this kind of agreement will not stop this Ukrainian counteroffensive in the south, which seems to be um quite efficient so in many places in many villages in many there are many signs about um about russian um, machinery russian weapons destroyed massively in the south 
during this week, another major event, the Ukrainian army finally was able to, to destroy or almost destroy the Antonyov Bridge in To Hisa. harm, to damage, to, not to, to damage, destroy. To destroy, yeah, to harm, yeah, to damage this, uh, this Antonyov Bridge inside Kherson. Let us remind that to our listeners, it's 100 kilometers from the Ukrainian position. So we are talking, even if we are talking about high Mars, we are talking about a kind of a longer distance and traditional distance. And that's a big, very challenge. long bridge over Dnipro. Dnipro yeah, which is, is several is kilometers. the largest, largest uh, uh, river in it's Ukraine. It's several kilometers long in that place. And why it, and, uh, um, and many experts say, uh, both international and Ukrainians say that this bridge is uh, strategically in, extremely important for, for, for Russians and if damaged, so will be kind of encirclement of Russian troops inside Kherson. So it's, it, it proves the kind of capacity of Ukrainian troops, Ukrainian army to counter attacking the Let's come back to this issue a little bit later, but let's uh, let's again uh, finalize uh, the, the, the question of this agreement because there are some other issues. For example, there is an issue. Well, of obviously, the ideal situation for Ukraine would be that uh, that there is international presence in the Black Sea. Okay, if we cannot kick off Russians uh, right now uh, from the Black Sea. There should be an international presence. There should be international ships which would accompany the shipment in and out Ukrainian ports. And uh, preferably, there should be ships from NATO countries. And oh, preferably, okay. for example, uh, from Turkey. Turkey, we, we, we see that Turkey is not really going into this. So Turkey is taking uh, a a kind of a obligation to inspect uh, vessels, but it's not that they are willing to uh, accompany these uh, vessels which are coming to and from Ukrainian ports. And this is very important because if we, if we have these international maritime forces in the Black Sea, uh, of course Russians will be much more unwilling to kind of uh, challenge them because they will be risking uh, hitting a NATO vessel or whatever. And we see that, uh, well, NATO and it's international partners try, are trying to avoid this. Understandably, maybe, but uh, you should also understand the Ukrainian position because uh, the, U the, the Ukrainians are kind of uh, also feeling that they're a bit one-to-one, uh, one-on-one uh, one on one yeah, with, with one Russia. Facing. And uh, another thing is that if we facilitate the, the, the trade through the Black Sea, that would mean demining the equatorium, which leads from the uh, Odessa ports. Only a, st only a narrow, All, only narrow, a, a narrow corridor, corridor, but still, I mean, everybody, everybody will know what is kind of a corridor, etc. So Ukraine will, be, uh, will have lesser defense uh, and uh, so we're taking some risks, and and, yeah. and 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 giving the situation that Russians uh, are willing really to uh, attack Odessa. Of course, this is a huge risk. So actually, this is a very difficult agreement for Ukraine because Ukraine is unlocking its exports also to kind of to to solve not only its own problems but the global famine problems. But at the same time, it, it, it takes even more security risks on itself. Uh, it, it's very important. The second important thing is that the question, uh, what is the trade-off? So what Russians get from this agreement? We see already that they got some 
facilitation, some easing of sanctions on, on their exports in fertilizers. And it seems that they get also easing situation in the transferring goods uh, to Kaliningrad Oblast. So it's a kind of also a kind of, a, you know, game which is important very important to follow and the devil is in in details really uh, you need to really go into details yeah, to understand i would it. say that the global sum up of this agreement was rather positive yesterday but unfortunately today with the strikes uh, against uh, the support we are starting to start doubt whether russia is serious about that so the major risk is security one because if if there is ships if there are vessels coming from other support to anywhere in the world and there are missiles against this There were nobody willing to do that. So um, the situation seems to be extremely difficult now because we don't know who will take the risk now to do that, uh, knowing that Russia is able to do anything, regardless if they signed or not the kind of agreement. So what uh, what other events were important during that week. So let's let's come back to the issue that you raised about Kherson, about the bridge. I mean, it's important. Let's try to explain yeah, it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so this is a question uh, about the bridges over Dnipro, which is not the very frequent. And as you said, uh, this is a very long bridge. You, Dnipro is a very wide river. And Russians find it very difficult to cross even very tiny narrow uh, rivers like Siversky Donets or even uh, more narrow uh, rivers that we have seen in Kiev Oblast like uh, uh, rivers Uh, yes like 10 meters 10 meters wide and if if the bridge is demolished uh, Russians feel it not very easy to cross it so Russians are have occupied Kherson and uh, the major Kherson is on the two banks of Dnipro and the Ukrainians are kind of a showing that they are reaching this bridge and if they destroy it, then Russians will be without, without supplies because there is a next bridge uh, dozens of kilometers away in Nova, Nova Kachovka. So that, as far as I understand, this is the key, uh, the key sense of the game. This right? is the kind of ult- ultimatum posed by Ukrainian army, saying that look, guys, we can destruct this bridge in a couple of days. So if you want to go to leave, you can do it now. If not, you will be uh, without ammunition and without uh, any significant help from from outside for, for, for a long time, you will be encircled. What the, as far as I understand that they're trying to do, Ukrainian troops try to encircle these Russians inside Kherson. Um, this is a good tactics because if you, uh, it, it was also, it is also tactics Russians used in Lysychansk. And we do remember that uh, the retreat of Ukrainian troops of Lysychansk was extremely quick if compared to Severodonetsk. In Severodonetsk, there were battles for many weeks this in this front attacks between two 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 armies, and in the situations when they try to encircle the troops, they go away. So this is the, the same tactics used by that time by Ukrainian troops against Russians, and there are all signs of the potential potential success. Let us say so, potential success of Ukrainian troops in that area. And politically, if we speak about Russian uh, internal agenda. It will um, weaken Russian regime and Putin regime very quickly because if Russians lose south now, I mean now in 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 a month, in a, two months, which seems to be quite a clear possibility, 
now there will be questions in inside Russia asking what we are doing in the south why we are retreating from the south why we are not conquering territories but we are retreating from it so this will could be kind of a major one major um, military um, defeat of the of the russian army and it will definitely have political consequences but i would not be that you know openly optimistic because there are lots of different different questions Of course, for Ukrainians, it's very important to reconquer Kherson and to reconquer it not in the way how Russians conquer the cities, but uh, without without huge shelling, without destruction, because in Kherson there are Ukrainian citizens living there, those who not left the city. And I think the, you're right that the, the tactics is to cut Russians from supplies through different mechanisms. And uh, just to and just to make them, you know, leave or flee the the city, and just to enter the city, we will see that whether these tactics will uh, will uh, uh, will be successful. Because there is a question: Okay, if Russians are not are not leaving, despite the fact that Ukrainians are giving them signs, uh, will Ukrainians destroy this bridge uh, over Kherson? Uh, over Dnipro uh, in Kherson, and if they do, if Ukrainian army does it, what will happen next? Okay, we we encircle the Russians, and then uh, we maybe capture them, we uh, capture the city, but the bridge is destroyed. So what we do? How what, we how we how, the how, how yeah. we how we proceed further? Because there are huge territories. The most of the Kherson Oblast in, is on the left bank. And uh, and uh, what Ukrainian army is going to do next? So there is, there is of course many many questions about yeah, this. That's it. But that's it. But at the same time, and let's maybe conclude with that. This week we've had a lot of statements coming from foreign um, ministers of defense and foreign military experts saying that Russia. Uh, is exhausting its resources to attack uh, in Donbass and in the south. They were coming from United States, also from Britain, from Canada, from Canadian army, which stated that according to their observation, Russian army has not a lot of resource to continue. And this may be good news because um, there is no possibility for general mobilization in Russia. At that very moment, at least Kremlin is not considering these uh, general mobilizations. They're trying to make a kind of a, a selective mobilization, volunteer mobilization in different uh, regions. But they don't seem to be quite successful with that, namely because young people, according to a kind of secret sociology, Poles, they are much less supporting the war if you compare that to support within the group of 60 or 70 years old. This war of Russia against Ukraine is mainly supported by old people. I mean, people 60 plus, so 60, 70 years old. So it gives us some kind of uh, hope that uh, with In the weeks to come, during months, there will be less and less support of this uh, senseless war, which is senseless for Ukraine, as, but also for Russia. Yeah, we can estimate, we can look at this war also from, this po- from the point of d- demography and from the point of uh, age, right? So this is, this is the war indeed supported mostly by the people who are nostalgic about the Soviet Union, 
And uh, one of the reasons why Putin attacked this year is that this is anniversary of the Soviet Union. Uh, 1922 was the year of the creation of the Soviet Union. So maybe uh, for younger Russians, uh, this of course, these are the senses which are not that valid. But, uh, well, it takes time, it takes decades, so that this new generation becomes stronger, and be becomes more uh, vocal in the Russian politics. We cannot wait for such a long time. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I, uh, I'm chief editor of ukraineworld.org. I talked to Titiano Harko, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest and oldest Ukrainian media NGOs. You can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We are spending a big amount of your support, your donations to help people uh, uh, who are affected by this war. You can listen to our podcasts in wherever you have your podcasts on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and YouTube. Subscribe to us, stay with us and stand with Ukraine.